Church in Evansville, Indiana. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates and visit us at resurgencecommunity.com. And uh, if you've been coming here, especially if you've been coming here since the beginning, it might not look like too much of a pattern, but when you think about it, you'll realize it is the last Sunday of every year we talk about what is the gospel. Here is the reason why is because there is a lot of confusion about what it is to come to Christ. Uh, there are a lot of uh, what I'm finding in, in what I'm finding when I talk to a lot of other pastors is inconsistencies with the way that the gospel is presented, inconsistencies with uh, what it takes to go to heaven. Um, what do you bring to the table? What are things that you need to do? And it's interesting when I talk to a lot of pastors, the, the thing that scares me a lot about their preaching of the gospel in their church, and I'm not trying to say that we have a corner on the gospel, it's not what I'm saying. Uh, but what I am saying is I found a lot, of, a lot of pastors just don't care if they get it wrong. And that really bothers me. It really bothers me. Uh, because it's not like we're talking like a preliminary issue like when does the rapture happen? Is there a rapture? You know, we're not talking about something that a wide variety of people could sit there and debate on. This is the very crux of salvation. This is the very center point that everything else is revolved around. If you got this wrong, you might not be saved. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about very detrimental uh, kind of circumstance here, a very important issue. Now, here's the problem. If you've been coming here any amount of time, you're probably going to be so sick after today listening to me talk about this, because I talk about it all the time, okay? Uh, but man, it's, it, I don't know what to say except it's freaking important. So, what I want us to do is I want us to start in chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. I want us to break down these 10 verses and really pay attention to a lot of the things that Paul is trying to point us in the direction of and, and, and kind of open our understanding to make us realize. He's talking to uh, a, a church here. A lot of people believe that this letter to the Ephesians, a letter to the church in Ephesus, was actually what was known as a circular letter. In other words, it would say, uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, writing to the church of, and then instead of it saying necessarily Ephesus, he would have like a blank. And when your church got it, your church would just fill in the blank, you know, writing to a resurgence, stamp it in there, and we move on. And people consider that, that a lot of times it was a general letter. There's nobody really mentioned uh, specifically by name here. But it doesn't change the fact that the church, uh, nah. I speak in tongues, guys, I'm sorry. I'm real like, I'm, I apologize. I have so much I want to share with you guys. Just, just if you can see, I studied, okay? I studied my butt off for this sermon. So, um, the truth is universal here. There is no um, shakiness about the truth uh, as, as far as, regardless of what church it's, it's sent to. There, there's only one truth that's so important to understand. After eight years of being married to my wife, I finally had the opportunity to talk to my brother in law, who is a pagan. Okay, I had the opportunity to talk to him for 45 minutes about the gospel. He was totally open to it. And he's a smart dude. He's halfway through law school up in Indianapolis. Very, very smart guy. And uh, I said, man, I'm just curious where you stand with Jesus and what your beliefs are about eternity and things like that. He's like, well, man, people believe all different kinds of things. As long as it's sincere, that's what matters because they're all going to the same place. And immediately I was like, well, that's not right. And I would hope that all of us could realize that's not right. And, you know, you, you want to smack them, but you got to have love. And 
gotta, Jesus didn't smack anybody, so you got to represent that. But So I said to him, I said, how would that hold up in a court of law? Because he's going to be a lawyer, right? Oh, Holy Spirit getting all tricky, tricky. So I'm talking to him, and I'm like, what if some guy stole something and thought, you know, that I, I want that card. It's totally right for me to have it. Does that make it right? No, a judge would still send him to jail. So there's got to be absolutes, and I loved it. It's, it's, the, it's the very moment that pastors live for. When you get real quiet and you hear the cogs turning up in their brains. I love that. It's awesome. Because what you see is, is oh, the whole way I was thinking about this can't be right if I really think about it. If I really think about it. And he said, well, well what about these people? And what about these people? And what about these people? And I told him, I said, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus is that Jesus comes with a proclamation of, hey guys, it's already done. Just believe. Everybody else comes to a, you better do this list of things before you'll be saved. That's what separates Christianity from everything else. Grace. Grace is what separates Christianity from everything else. Nobody else has grace. And that is a beautiful thing about Yahweh God, our Creator, is He has supplied grace through His Son for us. Now, in understanding this truth here, everybody look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says here, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Immediately, if we're going to go the Bible study route, immediately two words stick out to me. Dead and walked. Because dead people don't walk, do they? No. So obviously, if we just, you know, we're using common sense here, we're breaking it down. What kind of dead is he talking about? Spiritual. Spiritually dead. Now, what are some of the characteristics of just dead people? Do they offer their opinion about what you thought about the funeral flowers? No. Were they like, hey, is, it, is formaldehyde, is that what they used to preserve body? Were they like, stop doing that? No. They're dead. They're dead. They're unresponsive whatsoever. And notice, they're dead in sins and trespasses. And that's how these people walked. Who's he talking about? What's, what's the key word there? You. Here's what it means. We all, at one time, before we knew Christ, walked in sins and trespasses. And when God looked at us, He saw us all as dead. Now, dead in the Bible, spiritually, as we've determined, doesn't talk like, oh, I can't communicate to God whatsoever. I'm completely just, no, not at all. If you notice, whenever Adam and Eve were in the garden, and when they sinned against God, they were still able to communicate with God. But the sin had already taken place. And with the sin comes death. A physical death or eventually proceeded from that. I believe personally that a spiritual death was in play. But because of the scene of sacrifices that were made before the cherubim there, that Cain and Abel later on came and offered, they were showing their faithfulness to God. God communicated that to them. They believed it and followed through with obedience. It's credited them as righteousness. But it doesn't say that. Don't read too much into it. That's getting way off track. Anyway, everybody stay with me. I'm going fast. Uh, when you look at this and you see here, they're dead in trespasses and sins. Communication can still happen with God. But understand that He does not see us as alive 
until we come upon belief. We were all at this position where there was a spiritual separation, a snip-snip, between us and God. In fact, when judgment comes down, when we deal with it in Revelation chapter 21, that's what happens. It's an eternal separation from the presence of God. Right now is definitely a time of grace because salvation is offered full and free to everybody and it's just sitting there. Here's a beautiful thing. I, 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 got to sh I shared the gospel with my brother-in-law and he's sitting there listening to me. And I told him, I said, you know, it's not anything that you got to do. You know, and he's like, well, what about gay people? And I'm like, being gay is not the, is not the issue when it comes to salvation. The issue is, do you know Christ? That's the issue. What about people who got abortions? That's not the issue. The issue is, do you know Christ? He's like, so what are you telling me here? I said, what I'm telling you is, is that Jesus Christ died in your place, and he died so you wouldn't have to, and he paid a price that you never could. He did it all for you. And all God is saying is, will you believe? That is the condition for salvation, believe. And it's like a light bulb went on. It was great. And not one of those little spirally, doesn't work very well light bulbs, right? It was like one of those for real GE, we got 100 watt light bulbs, okay? And he looked at me and he said, that's pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> and it was, it was like 1130 at night, but I wanted to go, yes, it is. Don't you see, right? Because that's monumental. That's huge. Because I was sitting there thinking, it took eight years to get here. It took eight years of building a relationship with an analytical, skeptical dude who I care a lot for, and I don't want to see him in hell. And now he's considering the gospel, and even just to make sure that I got it all right, I gave him one of our May I Ask You a Question tracks and just asked him, hey man, just read it. Now this is kind of funny. He said, if you wanted me to read this, you should have just left it on the pile of magazines next to the toilet. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And I was like, well, that would have been real impersonal, wouldn't it? And he's like, well, yeah, I guess so. But hey, now I know what to do anytime I want it. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> Happy reading, bud. So anyway, dead in trespasses and sins. Our sin is what separates us from God. Paul is stating a universal truth. Sin separates you from God. Period. <coughs> Period. Now move on here. Notice this. Verse 2 in which you once walked, in other words, walking in the Bible, walked when they're talking about it with a spiritual uh, context around it, speaks of the way you conduct your daily life. This is what characterizes you. If people had to look at you and sum you up in a word by observing your life, they would say, oh, this is their walk of life. It's like this. They're in sins. They're in trespasses. They're dead spiritually. That's how they walk. Now notice, we all once walked like this, or we led our lives like this, following the course of this world. Stop. If you mark in your Bible, it is so important that you pick up the, the, these three things I'm getting ready to point out. The world. This word right here in the Greek is the word cosmos. Okay, of course it's where we get the word cosmos from. Cosmos means the world order or the world system that is set up. How the world operates. Whenever they're saying do not be conformed to this world, they're talking about this world system. Don't be conformed to the way this world works. Now, let's just talk about this real quick. What is something that the world tells us to do that as a believer in Christ, you're sitting there going, man, that ain't right. Anybody? Sex before marriage. Sex before marriage. But it feels good, just do it. Come on, Clint. I'm not saying I want to have sex with you, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> that sounded really strange. Come on, Clint. It's not what I meant. 
That's funny. Mark Driscoll calls that Brokeback Bible Church. It's funny. Anyway, moving on. That's not what I'm talking about. But you guys get sex before marriage. Well, it feels good. Just do it. That's totally fine. What are some other things? Materialism. Explain some of that. Fill? <laughs> Man. Can you type that in and define that? Materialism dash filling your life with crap. That is excellent. That is excellent because what ends up happening with it? It's all going to burn up anyway. What was it of any joy to you whatsoever? It's just stuff. Did anybody get stuff at Christmas and you're looking around and you're thinking, man, I don't even know what to do with all this stuff. Right? I got pajamas. I don't, I said my you don't know what to do with pajamas? I don't sleep my underwear. Praise the Lord. I love you. Here's a here's a book. No, I'm just kidding. What size you wear, man? And they, they, you know what they didn't buy me the right size. I wear like small or medium. They bought me large. Okay, anybody need some large pajamas? We'll take care of this material stuff. Somebody needs those pajamas. If you got extra like medium or small underwear for Christmas, send them Jake's way, and Jake will trade you for some large, large pajamas. That's what we'll do. Okay, it's like it's like resurgence eBay here. Okay, except we're just doing it for free. It's like the church in Jerusalem. All right. Wow. What are some other things? How about this one? Has everybody noticed that Dave Ramsey it just keeps getting more and more popular? Don't you think if Obama really wanted to fix the economic process, he would put Dave Ramsey in as like his financial advisor? That's just, hey, I'm Jeremy, 2012, president, vote for me. Because that's what I'll do. I will put him in. Dave Ramsey here, man, just take it, balance this thing. He'd do it too. We'd all have emergency funds and going nuts. Anyway, but but the big thing that we hear is, you know, how many, how many credit card offers do you get in the mail every week? Sometimes 20, 30? Always got people calling, you've just won bonus points to discover, you know. And everybody wants to, you could, oh, you could finance it like this. Well, there's no interest rate starting out. And everybody's trying to get us into debt. The world tells us, that, or the world tells us to get into debt. The Bible tells us a borrower is slave to the lender. We will be slave. If you listen to Dave Ramsey, you'll hear that all the time. It's true. He ain't telling us anything that the Bible doesn't tell us. It's not that he's smart, it's just that he reads his Bible. Notice. The world system, the way that it's set up, get ready for this, is a lie. It is a lie. Commercialism, materialism, uh, any, any, any people that are trying to project an idea that does not glorify Christ in some way, it's a lie. Now, here's an interesting thing. is If you look at the next part of this verse, notice this. Following the course of this world, this cosmos, world system, following, now notice, the prince of the power of the air. This is a second thing. This is another phrase that is used for Satan. Number one, the world. Number two, Satan. Now, here's the thing. How many people saw Batman, uh, or what was it, the Dark Knight? The one with, uh, yeah, Dark Knight. You got the Joker. Was anybody amazed that the Joker just kept taking it one step further over and over? The first time I saw it, I was sitting there thinking, whoa, that's pretty crazy. Whoa, I can't believe he did that. He'd do something else. Whoa, I can't believe he did that. You know, it's like, you know, the guy's phone's ringing in his belly and you can see like the lights coming through. It's like, man, that's sick. Anyway, you notice he kept taking whatever bounds I put on, on my mind of what he could do and just kept going through it. Here's the thing we got to understand. Satan does not care. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your life. He doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your kids. He doesn't care about your finances. He doesn't care about your job. He doesn't care about your God. 
And I tell you what he wants us to do, and he wants Christians to be ignorant, selfish, materialistic, not reading their Bibles, never praying and making excuses for not coming to church. That's what Satan wants. That's what Satan wants. Does he have to fight against that? No. In his mind, what better glorifies my purpose than God saving a bunch of people who are just kind of mediocre, you know? They just kind of smell real bad. That's just how the church looks sometimes. Is they just stagnant, crappy. When we get caught up in this world system, it's because Satan runs the whole thing. And notice the next thing that he brings it to, the prince of the power of the air. It's the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's, a, that's what's known as a Hebrew, Hebraism. Hebraism is what it's called. In other words, it's a, it's a Hebrew phrase that was used to describe people who didn't know Christ. They were sons of disobedience. They were disobedient people. Is that what God wants? Cool. I'm not doing it. I'm walking the other direction. That's the way these people would look. And here's what it says here. Verse 3, among whom we, who? All. All, all of us once lived in the passions of our what? Flesh. That's the third one. If three things are going to drag you away from God, it is the world, the devil, and your flesh. Your flesh wants you to do some crazy things, doesn't it? You ever sit there and realize that you're like having like a Scrubs JD moment where you're daydreaming about something crazy and all of a sudden you're like, I can't believe I was thinking that. That's insane. You know? I don't know about you guys, I have some crazy thoughts sometimes. Especially like for about driving. I'm like, man, I'd just wreck that person. I hope their car stops on train tracks or something, you know. I mean, I just get evil with it, man. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, why am I thinking that? That's so sick. And I realize it's because my flesh desires horrible things. My flesh is rotten. It's totally rotten. And, and, and I'm not going to ask anybody, hey, I got to send to, you know, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm sure that you guys can sit there and you can think for something. Man, I think some messed up stuff throughout the week. I really do. Where does it come from? Here's the thing. Don't get down on yourself. It's your flesh. It's one of the three things that are trying to get you away from God. And, you, and here's the way Satan operates. The battlefield, right here, it's a mind. And, and it's just like in the old game of Scrabble. He'll take the little card and Satan will stick it in your brain. He's like, look what you got now. Look what you got now. Think about this. Dwell on this. Don't think about those things. Wouldn't this be great if you could do that? And next thing you know, it's garbage. 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 Now, is this unique to me? Is it unique to you? No. We all, all of us, all of us were in the same crappy boat that has holes in it. Okay? And we were all sinking. That's what was going on. It was either with the world, the devil, or our flesh. But notice what happens here. Uh, in fact, well, let's finish this up here because it clarifies on that. It says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, this is our sinful nature that we are born with, by nature, children of wrath, or children that deserve wrath. Our end was the wrath of God. That's what we deserve. That's what we earned in this life because of how we think, who we submitted to, the way we conducted ourselves, everything. Notice this. Like the rest of mankind. Now, the greatest words in the Bible, verse 4, but God. Here's where it starts. 
Notice that the first three verses that Paul uses here is, here's what you were doing, here's where you were going, here's what you were involved in, here's the things you were thinking, here's the things you were obeying, here's the things that you just followed after, I gotta have this, right? And we all just mindlessly get caught up in the world system. And then what happens? God comes in. And I love it because I picture like the doors in a western, it's like, right? They fly open and all of a sudden you hear I love it. Exactly. I love that. Because now I see God coming in, right? But God. Oh, what did God do? What did God do? It was probably much better than Clint Eastwood. But God, being rich in mercy. That's a good description of him, right? Is he rich in mercy? Does he ever run out? Is his account bankrupt? Heck no. Here it is. Rich in mercy. Notice this. Verse 5. Why did he do it? Because of the great love with which he loved us. You know what that tells me? It tells me God is deeply personal. God is deeply personal. He has a personal affection and love for you. That's why he steps into your life. Because he wants to lead you on the right path. How many times, if you're a parent in here, how many times would you let your kid stick his finger in, in the light socket? You just keep let, he'll learn eventually. <laughs> would you let it go or would you step in and go, stop? You would step in, wouldn't you? I'm like, not my kid. <laughs> fry my kid and just fry him up. <laughs> Bacon. Let's hope you wouldn't be like, I got a book up here for you. <laughs> Notice this, because of the great love with which he loved us, with which he loved us, past tense. Here's what it says, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, remember we saw that from verse 1, even when we were dead. Now, that makes me think immediately Romans 5. Uh, what do I have? Romans 5, 8, right? God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we were currently in the action of denying God, not wanting anything to do with the free pardon of salvation, what happens? Christ still took it. Christ easily could have looked at all of us and go, you know what, man, they just don't deserve it. And I'm sure that God could have looked at him and been totally just if he said, you know what, you're right. Forget it. But he didn't. His great love with which he has loved us. Notice what it says here. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, He made us alive together with Christ. When God raised Christ from the dead with resurrection power, that is the same power that God has had on every one of our lives who trust in Christ. That's what it is. When you talk about people who are dead in trespasses and sins, it's not that they need the Heimlich Maneuver, CPR, something like that. They need resurrection. They need a resurrection. It's got to happen, a spiritual resurrection from the dead. And the same power he uses to raise Christ, he uses to raise us. Notice what it says here. He made us alive together with Christ. And it's great because this is like a little parenthesis here. By grace you have been saved. It's like he can't contain it, man. He's like a jiffy bag just getting ready to blow. He says here, verse 6, and raised, notice past tense, right? Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's how we were shifted. We went from being dead, we went from following passions, we went from serving ourselves, we went from serving Satan, 
Because he's the prince and ruler of all these things. We went from being all about us to God stepping in and changing the whole situation. Now here's the interesting thing. We're seeing a lot of what God is doing for us. What have we done? We were, we were all over the place in the first three verses, weren't we? Look at me. Look what I can do. I can sin and I can follow Satan and I can get according to this world. And, blah, and I'm dead. Yay. You know, that's us. But when God steps in, God starts changing everything. And what do we do? We just sit there and take it in. Whoa. Whoa. We get real Bill and Ted about everything, right? Whoa. Exactly. Because notice it's not anything that we're adding. We're not bringing our own little thought process to it. We're not saying, oh God, I think it'd look so much better if you just did it like this. We're not bringing any of those things to the table. We're letting God do what God does. And all we have left is just to receive it. Now notice, he made us alive together with him, with Christ. And he says here, he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And here's the reason why. So that in the coming ages, later on in the future, he might show the immeasurable, unable to be contained, unable to be channeled, whatever you want to say, unable to be weighed, whatever. The immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Somebody, uh, Warren Wiersbe, anybody ever heard of him? Great dude. He wrote, he wrote this down. He said, are we wearing the grave clothes from verses 1 through 3? Or do we have on the glory clothes from verses 4 through 10? How are we living our lives? Do we still live it as if we're dead in trespasses and sins? Or are we seeing all this really cool stuff that God does for us through Christ and it becomes available? Now, here's the greatest, here's, here's the thing, here's is my most favorite verses in the whole Bible. Here it is. For by grace, by grace, you've been saved through faith. Now stop. <coughs> this little sentence right here has caused tons of controversy throughout churches. For by grace, you have been saved. Real quick, let's define grace. Grace, the Greek word, and we say it English-wise, charis, but I actually did some study on the Greek. It's actually pronounced hades, okay? Is what it's called. It's the same word that we use if you were to add charis for grace. We add charisma, meaning gifts. Okay, when you get into Romans chapter 3, verse 25 or 24, we are justified freely as a gift. That word gift there is the same word grace. Now, everybody got gifts for Christmas, right? Somebody got a gift. How crappy would it be if you were like, Somebody gave you a gift, and you turn around and looked at him and be like, I got to go get you something now because of what you did for me. I got to pay you back somehow. I got to make this a, a successful transaction somehow. I can't afford to look bad in this situation somehow. I've got to do this. Here was another great illustration that I saw, and it's in the book. How, how crazy would it be? How many people ate a dinner somewhere at somebody else's house for Christmas? <laughs> How many of you, when you got up to leave, thank you for the good time. That was awesome. That was wonderful. How much owe you for that meal? Anybody do that? Why? Why did you not do that? What? It would be rude. 
it would be really rude, wouldn't it? You would, the, in fact, the people that you tried to offer that to would probably be offended that you would try to pay them back because they wanted to do something great for you to have everybody over. That's grace. That's grace. By grace, we have been saved. Now, let's develop this a little bit more. Here, here's a couple of definitions, some, some things that people try to sum up grace. Um, see, favor is being extended simply out of the goodness of the heart of the giver. That's grace. That's grace. Favor being extended. Here, have this, Nick. Take it. What does Nick got to do in order to get it? Just receive it. There it is. Just receive it. That's all you got to do. Just receive it. In fact, let's do this. Because I want you guys to get this. I want you guys to understand this. When we talk about grace, what do we talk about? It's important that we not confuse the issue. What is this? Ten dollars. Ten dollars. If you come from the ghetto, it's ten hollars, right? Here's what we're going to do. Whoever wants it can have it. <laughs> now, are you up? Seriously, I, do you guys get it? It's, ten, it's worth ten dollars. That's how much I want you guys to get this. What do you owe me now? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Not the record show. Yeah. <laughs> Senior's like, hopefully a receipt. Just <laughs> letting you know. The... No. He owes me nothing. He owes me nothing. And see, that's the interesting thing about it is, is that when God steps up to the plate and he gives grace willingly and he gives grace, and a lot of people cover this up and it pisses me off so bad. When God gives grace freely, he gives it freely. You can't do anything to pay him back. In fact, to think, to sit there and have the audacity to really think, well, I got to do this. I got to be like this now. All because I got to live up to this thing. All because I got to, got to, got to, you know, swing it back his way and somehow. Do, if we really think about it, do we realize that's absolute heresy? It is absolute heresy for us to sit here and think in some way I can give God a little something back. Just to, just to even out the playing field some. Just to make it all worthwhile. You know what Zeno owes me? Nothing. You know Why? Because it's sitting there freely available for whoever will take it. That's grace. Now, was it costly to me? Yeah, it cost me 10 bucks. What it cost God? His son. Think about this. Our sin is so huge. Our sin is so expansive. Our sin cuts and separates. Our sin is so dirty. Our sin is so sickening that it took the Son of God to pay for it. God didn't just walk out into eternity and drop $10 and move on. That's not what happened. God stepped up to the plate and offered the greatest thing that He had, His Son. It's by grace that you have been saved. Another interesting thing I had here, the unmerited favor of God 
and is the basis of our salvation, our justification, our election, our faith, and all of our spiritual gifts. The Hebrew for it means to show favor or to stoop down to someone else. It's like if you were amongst royalty. Uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Big fans, Return of the King. And at the end, Mike, help me. What's the dude's name? King? Aragorn? Is that his name? I don't watch that nerdy. What is it? Aragorn? Yes. I don't watch that nerdy crap. Anyway, um, so Aragorn comes out. I'm just playing. Aragorn comes out with the crown. And remember, everybody bows down when he's coming out through there. And he walks up to the little web feet hobbits. And he's like, hey, guys, nobody, you know, I should be bowing down to you or whatever. Do they not have web feet? Hairy feet. I knew some girls like that. Anyway, but I'm just playing. Just kidding. Just kidding. But notice that. He comes out and remembers he's you, you are to bow down to no one. That would be the Hebrew summary of what grace is. That someone of such high power and position would come up and would stoop down before someone who doesn't deserve it, it's not warranted in any way. Was he obligated to? See, that's the interesting thing is nobody is back there holding God's arm going, say uncle, say uncle, you better save these people. God doesn't have to do jack. But he chooses to. He chooses to step forward in grace, and He offers grace to all of us full and free. Now notice what it says. By grace you are saved, rescued, through what? Faith. Say it loud, people. Act like you're interested. Faith. Faith! faith. <laughs> exactly. Our faith. What is faith? Somebody give me an example of faith. The chair. The chair is an example of faith. Why? Because I wasn't at the factory when they made it. I wasn't checking out all the materials. I think it's going to hold me. Did you do a good job? Is that machine broken? I didn't, you know, check out the material. Is it going to fall through? What's going to happen? No. What I do? I just simply trusted that it's going to hold me. I just simply committed my trust to it that it's going to do what it's supposed to do. Well, here's the thing. Jesus Christ saves. And when we exercise faith, we put our trust into Him. We might not have been there when He came into the world. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Okay. We can nod on that one. That's cool. Not to raise our hands. Trust. That's what we're dealing with. The Greek word here means a faith and a belief. A belief. In other words, something that you can be sure of. You might not totally know everything about it, but yet you can still place all your marbles there. Notice, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And, I love this part, this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. What does that mean? Let's just layman's terms it out. It's not your own doing. What? You didn't do anything. What? You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything? You didn't work for it? What else? That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? It's no great deed that you do. It's, it, it's, nothing that people, it's nothing that God looked at you and went, Slater, you are awesome. Yeah. Get into heaven. Get on my team. Here's a jersey. Sit up. No. God didn't say that. Here's the interesting thing is, is in, in, and here's what's scary about it. Anybody see the paper today? Okay. I'm getting ready to say something real controversial. Okay. So if you're going to get mad at me, get mad at me after church. Okay. Kwanzaa is a humanistic <coughs> holiday that was created around humanism. Seven principles of things you got to do. It's the most self-centered thing I've ever seen in my life. It has nothing to do with God or Christ whatsoever. Whatsoever. 
It blows my mind. And I was sitting there reading all about it today, about, oh, a beautiful tradition, heritage, China. No, man, it's just letting people know you better be a good person. Guess what? I've come to the conclusion that I can't be a good person. I am damned without Christ. That's what it comes down to. Because here's the thing. I don't know what to say except I can't do it. It's not according to me. It's not according to my good works. It's not according to anything that I have in my power. I am powerless eternally. Now let's think about this real quick. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the what? Gift of God. God gives it to you here. $10, take it. It says here, not a result of works. In other words, your faith in this is not a work. There's nothing you can do for it. He says here, so that no one may boast. you know why? Because given the opportunity, we would. Given the opportunity to boast about salvation, would you do it? Would you stand up proudly and be like, I'll walk that aisle. I prayed that prayer. I filled out that connection card and turned it in. <laughs> is that what we would do? A lot of times it's summed up as, I got saved, right? But let's think about it. Did we do anything? No, we just heard the truth and we believed. We heard what was really going on in this world system full of lies and we said, man, there's something about that right there. Yeah. Yeah. Brick. I was just thinking of this scripture. You know that one scripture where all the people left Jesus and he turned to the twelve and he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, well, where else will we go? Only you have the words of life. And Jesus said, did I not choose you? Mm -hmm. In other words, it was like Peter was saying, hey, where about you? And Jesus said, uh-uh, it's not you. It's I chose you. Exactly. It's God drawing forward and drawing us to himself, right? Father draws them. That's what happens. Now, in understanding this, there's no room for boasting. There's no room for us in the process except to receive it. Now, here's the little clicker going into verse 10. Here's what it says. For, in other words, here's the reason why. We are his workmanship. I've said this to you before. The Greek word here is poema. It's where we get the English word poem. And it kind of signifies it's a masterpiece. You ever thought of yourself as a masterpiece? Nope. No, we usually think, dur, 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 dur. right, you do? Yeah, well, I'm sleeping in my underwear, I'm a masterpiece. <laughs> Have we ever really thought of ourselves as a masterpiece? I tell you, with the, with the expansive Hellenistic culture at this time, that would have kind of resonated with some people because they were all about the physique and the human body and all of that crazy stuff, all of, the, all, of those, all, all of that culture that carried over from the Greeks. They would have had some kind of well, a masterpiece. Why? They would have thought of it in a totally humanistic type of way. But think about this. We are his workmanship, radiating his glory, something beautiful and poetic to say to the world about who God is. Notice this. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why are we saved? We're saved with a purpose. He's got something for us to do. He has got something for us to do. Well, good works which God prepared when? When? Before. Come on, guys. Before, Before what? Before everything. Before everything. God already had the things that you need to do and get accomplished in your life mapped out and ready to go. 
He had it ready to go. He mapped it out beforehand. Because we have been saved to walk in good works. Notice the word that he uses here. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should walk in them. How can this be done? How can you walk according to what God's given you? God has saved you and he's given you all these things that need to be accomplished in your life. How can we walk in it? I tell you, by grace. We can't subscribe to bootstrap theology. Let me just pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'll get it accomplished. Anybody ever done something wrong and said, well, God, I'm never going to do that again. God, I'm telling right now, we're praying. While I'm in the car, I'm never going to cuss at anybody. Cuts me off ever again, God. God, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to, oh, you stupid, you know. We'll go back on our word. There is no room for boasting here. And instead of tackling these things in our power, we have to do them in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to realize that it's only by grace that we're saved. It's only by grace that we can live. The gospel is not about legalism. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about you better live up to these standards. If anything, it's really about looking at yourself and going, I'll never live up to that standard. That's a standard that costs the Son of God his life. I'll never live up to that. Never. Now, I just want to throw the fishing rod. <laughs> Knowing me, I would. The whole fishing rod out there. I want to throw the line out there. Because <laughs> I suck at fishing. Uh, I want to throw it out there and I want to ask a question. If we're saved by grace, and hopefully that's the motivator for why we would want to be used by God. Not because we have to, not because, here's the thing we've got to realize. It's not God, I'm going to do these good things because I want to be accepted by you. It is God already accepts you. Why would you not want to do good things? The good things we do are a result of his acceptance, not to gain his acceptance. Now here's the thing. If he has prepared good works for us to walk in beforehand, what would one of those good works be? Or just, let's just name a few. Tell the people what we know. Tell people what we know what? Give thanks. What else? Love what? Love people. love people. What else? Some people are hard to love too. See, you need the Holy Spirit to do that stuff. Go ahead. What else? What else? What else? What else? Growing knowledge of the word. Growing in your knowledge of the word. Giving what? Giving freely of what we've been given. You know why I don't care that Zeno has ten dollars now? It's just money. That's really what it comes down to. Can God not supply it? Everybody uses, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Well, heck yes, he does. Let's not make fun of it. It's true. Here's the thing. If we've been, pre if we've been prepared for anything in our lives, Dave hit it on the head. I was hoping it would come later, but he said it first. It's okay. Tell people what we know. Tell po people what we know. Here's the scenario. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation Things are usually really familiar, but you realize at a second, man, that's not right. Whenever, here's, let me give you a good example. When I get up here to preach and one of you is not sitting where you always normally sit, right? And you've like moved. Yeah. Like last week, my parents sit back there by the thermostat. And immediately I was like, man, that ain't right. That'll throw me off like the whole time, okay? When you walk in a situation that should be familiar, you're expecting everybody to be where they're supposed to be, but for some reason they're not. Here's the thing. Christmas night, 10.30, and I'm walking through or whatever and, and uh, walking through the upstairs of Beth's parents' house, 
And usually, her brother has his door closed, a little crack there, until the TV's on, lights are out, you don't hear anything. And I've, and I've been burdened badly about his salvation, about what he thinks about God. Does he even know the truth? Because the church that he's attended when he's attended there is a church that does not teach truth at all. And I've had many disputes with the pastor over the truth, okay? When I, when I, when, when I realized, I walked through and realized the door's open, the light's on, right? And I'm thinking, because, you know, my prayers are like, God, you know, show, show me an open door. And it's just kind of like, God has a sense of humor, right? Because not only is the door open, but the light's on. And that never happens. And so I'm breaking the ice talking to him about football. We've already got this relationship that we've been building for a long time, regardless of whatever it was. And we're really cool with one another. And I tell you, God opened the door for me to walk in and sit down and share with him. Now, what was I doing five minutes before that? I was in another room with the door closed praying, God, I am scared. I'll admit it, man. I am frightened about sharing the gospel with him. He is extremely smart. He's extremely intelligent. He's extremely just, he can be a little intimidating sometimes when you talk to him. And here's my prayer. God, I don't have the courage at all. So if you want this to happen, give me the courage, please. It's got to be from you. I tell you what, he supplied it. Had a 45-minute conversation. When he brought up, well, I was always wondering about this. I'm not kidding you. The Holy Spirit was like, ding, and just loaded me up and just, it was unbelievable because the Holy Spirit was there moving and helping me and orchestrating this forward. It was great. If we are called to do any good work, it's to share the gospel. Now, here's what I have here. I have a talk bubble, okay? And Heather Vaught got this really cool little machine. She can make up talk bubbles all over the place, okay? If you notice this board over here, she made up. Uh, this concerning one gospel, one person, one day. This is what is known as the act111.org evangelism training. And here's what we've done is, is I've already gone through and I've done the evangelism training and I am now certified or thoroughly trained in how to share my faith and the whole thing. It's a four-part thing that they work you through. Each little thing they give you is interactive. Uh, it, it is 20 minutes, four sessions. Each session, 20 minutes. Clint has right there the first two sessions printed out for you so you don't have to print the papers out. And next week we'll have parts three and four for you. And what I'm asking for everybody to do is everybody in the church to be trained how to share your faith. This is probably the most right on um, biblical, simple, clearest way I've ever seen to share your faith. It's what we use in our, good, our Bad News, Good News tracks. May I ask you a question? And so what I've done is I've taken a talk bubble. They're located on the little holder right there with a Sharpie next to it. And I've written my name on it, and I've stapled my name up there to say, yeah, I've gone through it. Here's the thing. You go through the training. You get done with it. You take a little quiz at the end. Make sure you remember the, the, the main points on it. If you fail, it's okay. You can take it again. But you go through there, and it actually has where you drop down your group name. Resurgence Church is on there as a group name. 
And so what I'm asking, what I'm challenging all of you to do is, you know what, if we're saved by grace, why would we not want the people who are nearest and dearest to us, close friends, people that we randomly meet, if we're really about loving people, if we're really about demonstrating the grace of Christ, then why would we not want to share that with other people? A lot of reasons is, is be, or a lot, of, a lot of objections people bring up is, I don't know how to do that. I don't have a clue. I don't know where to begin. Well, here's the thing. We want a clear path. Well, you know, if we're going to be all about clearing paths for people, let's clear the stumbling block out of the way. I'm not sure how to share the gospel. Awesome. You can get online, act111.org. Sign right up for it. Get on the ball. You ain't even got to waste your toner. You don't even have to waste your paper. We'll waste it for you. Okay? You could take it home. You can get trained. And when you're done, stick on there for your group name, Resurgence Church. I encourage you to come, write your name on a bubble, pop it up there. My goal is that the whole church will be ready to share our faith with people by the end of April, at least, by the end of April. There's nothing more important than being able to share the truth. Now, here's an interesting thing. Did my brother-in-law come to Christ, put trust in Christ that night? No. And I, here's the thing is, I'm not going to say I take a lot of comfort in that, but one thing that's decent about that is, here's an interesting thing. It's not my job to convert him. It's not my job to convert him. It's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to be obedient and to tell him the truth. And now that he knows the truth, the ball is in his court. What is he going to do with it? What am I going to do? Pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray my tootsies off is what I'm going to do. And ask for the Holy Spirit to radically save him. That's what I'm looking to happen. If you want to pray, please pray for him. His name is Ben. Please pray for him. If he's prepared for me a good work, I can take a satisfaction knowing, you know what God, when you open a door for me, I was obedient. Cool. Here's the gospel. Now, do your thing. If I'm planting a seed, if I'm watering a seed, do your grow thing. And leave it to God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we would begin to comprehend that salvation is not deserved. That we, there is no reason, God, you should save us. There is none. And it's, it's amazing that I can't <laughs> comprehend your love. You love us so much. You gave your son for us. And salvation is free. I pray, Lord. That if we're in this room, we don't believe that now would be the day of salvation for, for those. I pray, Father, for those of us that do believe that we would walk forward knowing that you have created us as your masterpiece to do good works that you've already prepared for us. And Father, that would start with us being clear and confident and sharing the gospel with people. Lord, that is only a work that you can do through your Holy Spirit. And so I pray as a church, we would look to you to help us. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.